Lake Effect brings you conversations about what's happening in Milwaukee and the people, places, and organizations that shape the community. This is Lake Effect Spotlight from WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. The Wisconsin Supreme Court race will be a defining election for the state this year. Whether liberal-backed Judge Janet Protosiewicz or conservative-backed former Justice Daniel Kelly win, the election will either maintain or alter the narrow ideological balance of the court. This will greatly influence important upcoming cases around abortion and gerrymandering. But the state Supreme Court will also wield tremendous influence in the face of a divided government and eroding federal rights. WUWM's Mayan Silver is joined by Dustin Brown, senior staff attorney with the State Democracy Research Initiative of the University of Wisconsin Law School. The look at the court's decisions, influence, and trajectory. In the last 15 years, since about 2008, especially 2010, 2011, a lot has happened politically in Wisconsin. Mm. Can you talk about that and how it's affected the Wisconsin Supreme Court and its shifts during this time? Absolutely. When we're looking back at the recent history of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, 2008 is a logical place to begin because the election um, for Wisconsin Supreme Court in that year, that marked a turning point in, in two respects. The first was that it's the start of the, the conservative majority of the court, um, which exists today. And secondly, there was a shift in, I think, the, the tone and the approach to judicial campaigns. Now that year, the 2008 Supreme Court race, the incumbent was Justice uh, Lewis Butler. He had been uh, appointed by Democratic governor and he was defeated by Michael Gableman. And this was actually the, the first loss by an incumbent justice in more than 40 years. And in that race, Butler, he chose not to label himself as a liberal or a conservative, but Gableman touted his own conservative credentials, and he also ran what's been widely recognized as a misleading ad about Butler's work as a public defender. And so that election was, was a precursor to the kind of campaigns that we're seeing today, which are, which are highly politicized for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Since then, there have been nine Supreme Court elections. This April's election is going to be the 10th since then. And that, that entire time, the court has retained this conservative majority, either with a 4-3 split or, or a 5-2 split. So, so 2008 first was, was the kind of defining moment to set in motion this conservative majority. The other important features of the last 15 years are when you look at the court in relation to the other branches of government, because the court, it doesn't exist in isolation. It exists in response to and it interacts with the other branches. And so when there are power shifts in the other branches, that affects the role that the Wisconsin Supreme Court plays. So one defining moment was the 2010 election. That election resulted in a Republican trifecta with Scott Walker um, becoming the governor and both the Assembly and Senate being in re Republican control. And this meant that the Wisconsin Supreme Court effectively became the last line of defense if somebody wanted to, to challenge policy decisions made by the political branches. Another key moment more recently um, was the 2018 election when Governor Evers was elected. Now, and, and continuing to, to this day, we had divided government. And that meant that there wasn't as much policymaking happening in the political branches. And, and that meant that the role of the court evolved, and now the court was involved in resolving power struggles between the branches. 
I'd like to kind of hone in on that, the fact that the Wisconsin Supreme Court plays a role regardless of whether it's unified government and it's leaning politically the same way as the government or whether it's a divided government and it's having to resolve these questions. What have you seen with the court, starting with when it was all conservative, when the governor was conservative, the legislature was controlled by conservatives, and the court itself was controlled by conservatives? What, what kind of policymaking in Wisconsin were you seeing? At that point, when the Republicans gained control, they were able to advance an aggressive policy agenda including notably Act 10, which limited collective bargaining rights for public employees. A photo ID requirement for voting was adopted. And also this is when the redistricting plan with maps that were um, heavily gerrymandered in favor of Republicans was adopted. So during those Republican-controlled years, some of the most high-profile cases before the Wisconsin Supreme Court involved challenges to those signature pieces of legislation, but but in each of those cases, the legislation survived. So with respect to Act 10, the Wisconsin Supreme Court kept Act 10 in place when there was a challenge, and the court rejected an argument that the statute violated state and federal constitutions. The voter ID law went into effect with the state Supreme Court concluding it did not unconstitutionally burden the right to vote. And finally, the maps were actually challenged in a federal court and those maps were, were largely upheld. And it's, it's also interesting because if you look back at uh, 2011, right after Act 10 was adopted, the possibility of challenging that law became a defining issue in that year's state Supreme Court race. And, and that ended up being very close, but the, the conservative incumbent ultimately won by, I think, about 7,000 votes, less than, than half a percent. We're talking with Dustin Brown. He is senior staff attorney with the State Democracy Research Initiative of the University of Wisconsin Law School. Dustin, I wanted to ask you about federal courts and their role in how it's impacting what the Wisconsin Supreme Court does in a minute. But first, you were talking a little bit about unified government. What happens in a situation like we have now when we've got divided government, there's a Democratic governor and a Republican-controlled legislature? Exactly. Now now the political gridlock that we're seeing has changed the nature of the court's high-profile cases. The, the big cases are no longer challenges to legislation because we're not seeing that much legislation. Uh, more typically, the court is settling conflicts between the branches of government and often deciding who actually gets to decide important questions. Um, some of those power struggles emerged during the pandemic as a result of the, the state's response to COVID-19. Early in the pandemic, the court invalidated the health secretary's stay-at-home order. The court also enjoined the governor's executive order, which would have moved the April 2020 election um, due to COVID. But also there's another case in which the court found that Dane County's health official does have the authority to issue orders like, like a mask mandate. There were some, some other cases concerning executive power. For example, in one case, the court allowed Fred Prane to keep his seat on the natural resources board even after his term had expired, which prevented Governor Evers from appointing a replacement. And then, you know, there have been some significant election-related 
decisions, uh, like um, the decision that, that prohibited drop boxes after the Wisconsin election co- Elections Commission had advised that drop boxes were permissible, and also, you know, quite significantly rejecting the effort by Donald Trump to throw out ballots in Dane and Milwaukee counties after the 2020 election. So that's sort of where the court lands in the political geography of Wisconsin at the time. But we've got things happening in the federal government and the federal courts. The court stops decision, for instance, overturn the federal protection for abortion this past June. And maybe fewer people have followed that the court has also retreated on gerrymandering, ruling that it's a political question that's not reviewable by the federal courts. How has this affected state courts like the Wisconsin Supreme Court? So those decisions, um, you know, the Rucho decision on gerrymandering and uh, the Dobbs decision on abortion, they've had had a huge impact on states and state courts because the court explicitly in both instances described these issues as ones that should be handled at the state level. And and in Wisconsin, um, there's kind of a, a perfect storm right now because we have this election where um, you know the balance, uh, the ideological balance on the Wisconsin Supreme Court is at issue, where it could shift from a conservative majority to to a liberal majority, and also these two huge questions on abortion and um, redistricting are very big questions right now in Wisconsin because here we do have an abortion ban. And we have among the most heavily gerrymandered maps in the country. Now, with with respect to the abortion ban, there's an 1849 abortion ban that's still on the books. And as a result of that, after the Dobbs decision came down, providers in Wisconsin stopped offering abortions. And right now, there's a lawsuit that's that's challenging that abortion law and basically arguing that that it never came back into effect or it shouldn't have because it was superseded by new laws, more recent laws that regulated abortion in the era of Roe v. Wade. And also this lawsuit challenging the the abortion ban, which was filed by Attorney General Josh Call. It also advances a second argument that says um, the 1849 abortion ban is invalid simply because of disuse. It's been so long that it's been used that it cannot continue to be in effect. Right now, that case is in circuit court in Dane County and it will likely go before the Wisconsin Supreme Court at some point once the new court is seated. As for redistricting, there isn't currently a pending lawsuit challenging the existing maps. The maps that are in place now that had been used for the November 2022 election were adopted by the Wisconsin Supreme Court in its last term. But now these are new maps that are in place, um, and it is anticipated that challenges to these maps would be brought in the event that the balance of power on the Supreme Court shifts. We've got seven people on the Wisconsin Supreme Court currently. That's four conservatives and three liberals. From what they've been documenting, like at the Marquette University Law School and around the state, is that there's been more narrow decisions, four or three decisions, trending on that court than in the past where there were more perhaps unanimous decisions or a lot more agreement on what a legal question should result in as an answer. So what what should listeners know about that? In terms of uh, unanimity on the court, that's something that has been declining over, over decades. 35 years ago, the justices were unanimous about 80% of the time. 
25 years ago, they were anonymous in about uh, 70% of cases. And last year, that number was down um, to about, about a third of cases. And some of these numbers are based on a data project that the State Democracy Research Initiative at the University of Wisconsin Law School has been working on for a long time. Also, you know, you had alluded to um, the statistics that uh, Marquette University professor Alan Ball is compiling um, on his uh, SCOSTATS website, which is an excellent resource. And he determined that the court issued more 4-3 decisions in its last term than ever before. 54% of the court's 52 decisions in its last term were 4-3 decisions. So that shows that, that the court is remarkably divided. And if uh, the liberal candidate were to prevail in this race, then you know some of the some of the decisions that were four three with the conservative majority could then you know if the same cases or the same kinds of cases were to come before the court, then that would lead to a different result. So it's an extremely consequential election for that reason. Dustin Brown of the State Democracy Research Initiative, thanks for talking to us and shedding some light on this court. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Dustin Brown is Senior Staff Attorney with the State Democracy Research Initiative at the University of Wisconsin Law School. He spoke with WUWM's Mayan Silver. You can find more interviews like this one by visiting wuwm.com slash lake effect. And while you're there, subscribe to the Lake Effect Spotlight Podcast. 